the University of Chicago completed in recent months a longitudinal study that asked the question, who are the happiest people in the United States? A 50-year study by a lot of different intellectual disciplines, by secular people primarily, and their conclusion should not surprise anybody here, was the happiest people on the planet are those who are married and have children. If they've read Genesis 2, they would have already discovered that. Isn't it interesting, as every kind of relationship, rich, poor, certain vocations, they studied everything and said, who are the happiest people? Who are the happiest people? And they looked at every kind of relationship, every kind of environment, every kind of culture, every kind of socioeconomic condition, and they came up with the conclusion that those who were married are happier than anybody else. Not only that, they were more successful. They were more contented, and they were more adjusted, and they had less disease of every shape, mental, emotional, physical, those who are married. God told us that in Genesis, clearly, directly. And now here we are in 23, and exhaustive resources have been given to come to the same conclusion. By the way, how close was the call? Surely those who were billionaires or those who were inventors or those who were philosophers or those who were this or that, surely they would have had more. How close was it between the next group? Here's the happiest group in the world, those who are married. What group is runner-up? Really almost no other group. It was a 30% gap. Did you get that? Does that make any sense to anybody? Now, we read this study. At the same time, we ask the question, why is it that half of those who are married never get to the death do us part part? Right? About half. Divorce, breakup, didn't make it. Now, the other 50% of that half who are still married, according to a lot of study and surveys, not necessarily accurate, 25% of those are semi-happily married, but of that remaining 50%, most of them surveyed and said, I wouldn't marry the same person again if I had it to do over. <laughs> so here you have 50% destroyed, 50% left, 25% of that says, you know, if I had to do it over, I would make a different choice. And you got the other 25%, hopefully, prayerfully, that's the group that says, you know, I'm thrilled, I'm doing it right. This has been the greatest relationship humanly in my life. 
What's wrong with this picture? If marriage is the key to happiness, why is so many marriages being destroyed and not standing the test of, of time and challenge and pressure and, and heartache and mountains and vast? What's, what's going on? We've already talked about it, but a lot of people got into marriage and they didn't look at all the aspects of it when they went in. They said, bam, I've been struck by a magic bolt of lightning and this is the one. If that's you, you're probably in the first statistic. How many times, and I've told you this before, I've stood at the altar presiding with a robe. Why do I wear a robe at a marriage? I don't want to wear a tux. It's easier. Little ministerial confession. But I've stood down there many times. There's the bride and the groom and everything's perfect. And I walk in with the groom and the bride comes down. Uh, I've never seen a bride that wasn't beautiful. A couple of them barely made it, but <laughs> as they come down the aisle, I see the bride standing there and the groom standing there and they look at each other and smile and I have them hold hands and so many times I've thought about the bride looks at the groom and says, boy, he's going to meet all my needs. And the groom looks at the bride and says, she is going to meet all my needs. And I've said, it's like two ticks with no dog. <laughs> so a lot of us come into marriage and saying, did you marry a Christian? Oh, yes. He said he was a Christian. He said he was a Methodist, Presbyterian, Baptist, Catholic, Mesopotamian, whatever. He was a Christian. But you see, there's a lot of definition of Christianity running around. Have you figured that out yet? Whole lot of definitions. Hear people say, I've been a Christian all my life. That by definition is wrong, by the way. A Christian, we said, is somebody who's been saved, they've confessed sin, turned from sin, received Christ, and then now the Lord Jesus Christ is commander-in-chief of their life. He is the Lord of their life. He's saved and he's Lord. That's a biblical, evangelical, quit definition of what a Christian is. Therefore, if you married a Christian, not an Episcopalian or something else, that should be the basic biblical positions of that person's life. Therefore, when two Christians get married, you got a foundation upon which to understand the rule book for marriage and the operating manual, and your marriage will and should sing. If God's principles do not work in marriage, they do not work anywhere because marriage is the first basic institution and foundation that God put in place when he brought life and this world in place. But we look at the situation today of a man and his wife and a wife and the husband. We say, what in the world is going on? You read in Psalm chapter number 
one, two, four. The description of marriage, excuse me, 128. Psalm 128, blessed are all who fear the Lord, that's worship, who walk in obedience to him, who will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within the house. Your children will be like olive shoots around the table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. It's saying simply that the, a good analogy of marriage in the world is that marriage is a garden. It's a garden. In a garden, things grow. We eat, we see beauty, it's a garden. The gardens of Vassendry, it's in France. It's a garden that Francois I in the early part of the Middle Ages, the 1500s, had a chateau there and built a fortress there and they built gardens there. They used architects and the design and the original gardens were, were magnificent. But during the ages that went by, Napoleon, for example, gave this chateau and these gardens to his brother but they would come and go and deteriorate because the upkeep was vast, 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 vast. And so in 1900, they were totally overgrown, totally overgrown. And a couple, a doctor and his wife from Spain bought this property in France for $36,000. And they spent their life bringing the gardens back to life. And now when I call for them is when they should have been up, but they got up a little early. And you notice how magnificent they are. And everything in this garden, this, this is one of the gardens, and this is the the garden of love, and you see the cross that is there. All the way through, there are crosses, 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 and they have rehabilitated these gardens, and they have kept them up at great labor and great expense. They've restored the chateau. You know their biggest problem? After they get them in this shape? Is weeds. <laughs> Sound familiar? They tried everywhere in the world how the weeds, they poisoned them. They brought in insects once, they would eat the weeds, but they also ate the flowers. And they've gone in weed eaters and they've cut them down, but they come back. They tried everything in the world to keep the weeds out of the garden. By the way, what is a weed? A weed is a plant located where you don't want it to be. That's a weed. That's a, some weeds are beautiful. And a weed takes nutrients from the soil, it takes light, it takes water, it crowds everything out. Therefore, you do not want weeds. And I have been in the weeding business years ago, and I remember I attacked a little bed we had in the front of our house. I pulled up weeds ferociously, and I had it perfectly clean in 
Two or three days later, I looked out there to look, look at all the glory, and there they were coming up again, and somebody introduced me to something called nutgrass. Have you ever heard of it? I pulled all the weeds up, and the nut was still there, and they just came back vigorously. So what in the world do you do with a garden like this? With a garden like this, what do you do with it? They discovered only one thing to keep the weeds out. By hand, they have to pull up the weeds every single day. By hand, they pull up the weeds every single day. What happens to a lot of marriages? Weeds get in. Weeds get in the garden of marriage. We either let them grow or we just deal with the top of them. How do you do, what are some of those weeds? Let's start there. And I've used a little acrostic. Look at the word weed up here. Words. W-E-E-D, do you see it? In a marriage, words become weeds. If you are basically a narrow, critical, negative person who sees everything half full, change. You are driving your husband or your wife absolutely bazooka and they are tolerating you because a constant nagging critical spirit that's not good enough is a weed that will undercut and take away miles of happiness in any relationship, particularly in a marriage. That's a weed. Also a weed if you never talk. It's also a weed if you talk all the time. There's two extremes. So ask God what kind of weed may be in your marriage and your relationship. Do you listen enough? Two ears? Do you talk enough? Are you introspective enough? Are you wise enough? So that is the first weed I thought about is talking, talking. Words are building up, they're enchanting, they help us, they encourage us, but words also can become weeds. Do you have any word weeds in your marriage? If so, may God convict you or convict me of them and let's deal with them, okay? Particularly if you're, you're like, well, I'm just born like that. No, you're not. Negativity and minus and judgmental spirit, you don't have to be like that. God can change anybody, any attitude, any basic. Well, I came up in a home like that. That's not excuse enough. God can change anybody. So words can be weeds. Electronics can be weeds. Man, I went to a restaurant a while back, and this handsome young couple were seated there, and they had their phones out. And I'd, I don't think they said a word through the entire meal. They were keeping up with the world. They were playing games. I don't know what in the world. Is that you? Have electronics got you, whether it's TV, internet, computer, pad, phone, whatever, 
Electronics become weeds. They just, you see somebody, they always got, oh yeah, I've got to think, I'm so, I don't know what we're, who we're trying to impress. They may need me at the Vatican. <laughs> who knows, I made to go handle that billion dollar loan that, you know, who's that? Put the electronics down and talk to one another, husbands and wives, wives and husbands. You don't have to be wired all the time because you're a modern person at the cutting edge of facts. Electronics are a weed. Man, I, I see teenagers sitting out here from our school all the time, and there'll be five or six or seven, I'll walk by and they'll all be here. I walk by and they're all, they, nobody's moved. They haven't said anything. Like, hey gang, how y'all doing today? Fine, fine, fine. Weeds, that's a serious problem in our culture. And that's a weed that destroys relationships. Is that you? Expectations, another weed. Well, I just thought he'd know that I needed help. We're pretty slow, folks. Help us, ladies. We've got to open our eyes and our hearts and see, is there how we can contribute, how we can help? We have higher expectation and not realize, and some people let their whole marriage go through on and on, and they never have the ability or the grace, or they're afraid to tell their mate, you know, I expect you to maybe help me to, you know? Expectations can become weeds. Also, disrespect. How do you disrespect somebody? You're always embarrassing your wife or husband. You know what she did? Oh, I can't. You know what he said? I can't believe. Respect. Respect that one that's your lifetime partner and mate. Maybe you went in this relationship and didn't do all your due diligence. And I never understand that when couples are engaged or dating. Never understand a lack of due diligence in this modern world in which we live. But then we go in and here's all those weeds. Disrespect, honor that person you're with. And finally, schedules. We have way, 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 way overscheduled our children, ladies and gentlemen, particularly mothers. They do not have to be well-rounded with ballet and football and, and karate and all the rest of it. They need to have time to play and to grow up. Schedules can be weeds. The husband can be overscheduled. The wife can be overscheduled. There needs to be a time that you can just be, you know, just be together. Are there any weeds in your marriage? I'll tell you, if there are any weeds there, you better look at them and you better do what? Pull those weeds up. How do you do that? Good question. Hopefully your marriage becomes to such a point that you recognize those weeds and you deal with those weeds, and then you begin to base your marriage on the biblical principles I've been talking about now for four straight weeks. And to summarize what we're taught in Ephesians and in 1 Peter, 
remember the two operative words? To be submissive one to a mother, and then the words are, the wife is to be a cheerleader. Listen, men get beat up in the world. They come home, they don't get beat again, they don't be judged again. They want to be a place they look forward to going home to. Wives need to be cheerleaders of your husband. Appreciation, cheer for them. Husbands, you need to love your wife in an overwhelming kind of way. Wives cheer. And husbands, they set that atmosphere in the home of appreciation and honor and love. Do you look forward to going home every day? Do you look forward to being with your mate? You look forward to being your children? I hear parents, well, mom, in the terrible twos. That's a great time, parents. Well, they're teenagers. That's a fabulous time. I've been through it all over again. I can tell you those are wonderful moments if the man, the wife, the husband have the right kind of relationship with one another and with God Almighty, I'll tell you, marriage is thrilling and that's why the happiest people in the United States of America are married people. But you gotta operate it right and get those weeds out of there. Weeds. You pull up weeds by having a marriage where it's difficult for a weed to come up. And if a weed does come up, you deal with it immediately before God and maybe before your mate and you move on and let the music begin. Let the music begin. Let's look at the basic needs. We looked at surveys, his needs and her needs. Remember that? A woman's five most basic needs according to every survey, affection, conversation, honesty, openness, financial support, family Okay, guys, that's what your wife needs. How are you doing? Be honest. By the way, if you're not honest, we're not doing any good. We're wasting our time. Well, I went to church. Very practical. All right? Look at the man's needs. Sexual fulfillment. How are you doing, ladies? Recreational companionship, read together, walk together. So, attractive spouse, you try to do the best you can what you've got, and that'd be more than enough for your husband. Domestic support, admiration. Let's just take the first two, okay? Just the first two. I'm gonna be very clear. The man needs sexual fulfillment. The woman's five most basic needs affection. Men think Affection is sexual fulfillment, ladies. I hate to say they really do. Women think affection has not a great deal to do with sexual fulfillment. I'm talking in generalities, so don't, well, not, I'm talking, but it's pretty accurate, I think. And therefore, you have, when people are married for a while, particularly, you say, well, when you get older, you have, you're more spiritual. You don't have as many physical needs. That's the biggest lie ever perpetrated on the face of this planet. That is not true. The longer we're married, there should be more intimacy. There should more, be more fulfillment, more excitement, more creativity than it's ever been before. And I can testify to that personally for 50 plus years. You want to argue with me. That's the way God designed it. That's the way it should be, it can be, it ought to be. But 
but that's not the way it is so many times. I have a, years ago, I clipped out a newspaper, a Dear Abby, Dear Abby, at age 50, after 30 years of marriage, I would like to forget about sex altogether. Believe me, I've paid my dues. I suspect that many, if not most women, get very little physical satisfaction out of sex. They just go through the motion because they want to, because the man they love, something for the man they love. Please poll your readers, and if they're honest, I think you'll find I'm right, tired in Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> Abby responded to tired, and she took a survey and 250,000 females answered, married females. And most of them agreed with her. Most of them agreed with her. But those women were wrong, I can assure you, because a part of a marriage growing and developing deeply always involves intimacy and physical intimacy. That is a basic givenness that God has given to us in the beautiful relationship of marriage. So, you say, well, the pastor's talking about sex in church. What better place to talk about it? Where are you gonna hear about it? Is the fact we don't know enough about sex? No. It's what we know about sex is wrong. It's inaccurate information. And what about the kids? It's been years ago, I asked to speak some junior high boys about the physical part of sex. Pastor asked to speak to a bunch of junior high kids. Boy, I was speaking, guys, let me tell you, da, 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 da. One of them ripped his hand. Yes, yes, he said. Oh, we know about all that. Tell us what love is. <laughs> they know. They know. And the church, we need to deal with it and say that sex is a gift from God. It is exclusively for marriage. It is to be celebrated from the time you say I do until you leave this world or that relationship is destroyed. That's God's plan for the celebration of marriage. Now what needs to happen to a lot of folks that are probably sitting here is you need to have a wake up call in your marriage. And you're not gonna put up all the weeds in a week. You're not gonna get all excited and say, well, I see what God is saying. I see the weeds we got and, and I see what I've gotta do about them to have a marriage. I see what it takes to meet the needs of my wife, to meet the needs of my husband. And I'm gonna, let me tell you what needs to happen. Some of you uh, know the name of James Michener. James Michener wrote Hawaii and a lot of very, Detailed books, they're hard to read. I've tried to read Mitzer two or three times. It's tough for me. He goes in so many details. Uh, I think I'm talking to my mother-in-law. Uh, <laughs> there's so, so many details. It's hard to read if you've ever read him. James Mitzer was brought him on a farm. He tells a story that when he was a young boy, he was walking down the road there and he looked over there and saw his neighbor who was a uh, grew apples, had apple trees, and he saw the neighbor taking large rusty nails and driving them in the base of an apple tree, an apple tree that had not been producing apples. And he drove in one big rusty nail in the north and one big rusty nail in the south and the east and the west. 
said he watched him, wonder what he was doing. He went a little higher, he drove in, another big nail here, another big nail. And finally he asked his neighbor, he said, what are you doing that for? And the neighbor said, come back, come back next year when you walk down this path and you'll see. And Mitchell said, sure enough, he came back about a year later, walking there, the farm was there by his apple tree, and there that apple tree was, it had been unproductive. It had the most delicious apples on it you have ever seen. And so he said, do you understand now why I drove those rusty nails in, two levels in that tree a year ago? He said, I did that simply to remind the tree of what it was there for. Remind the tree it was supposed to produce apples. The tree tends to forget. And Mitchell said, well, how often do you have to do this? Only about 10 years or so, every 10 years or so. We forget the joy, the privilege, the excitement of marriage. We forget God's basic principles. We forget it's a gift from him. And we all know if we're in an exciting, meaningful marriage, it is a key to happiness. But it doesn't happen overnight. Football season, I bumped into a story that happened in the 30s. You know, Oklahoma, Texas, to this day, Friday night lights, high school football, gigantic. Back in the 30s, there's a little town in Oklahoma. I do not know how the name of the town. True story. There was a team there for six years. They had not won a football game. Now, if you were brought up in Texas, Oklahoma, or in the South, and you had a high school team for six years, never won a football game, you've got a problem in that town. So finally, they played one Friday. And this team had good material, by the way. But they still weren't winning. Blame the coach, blame the weather, blame, you know, six years. One Friday night, they lost another game. So in the locker room walked an oil man and lived in a little town who'd made a Brazilian dollars in oil. Everybody knew him. And he said, I want to speak to all you boys and all the coaching staff. I said, yes, sir. They were all beaten down as usual on Friday night. He said, I'll tell you what. If you'll beat the team you're going to play next week, got about the same kind of material, I'm going to give all you boys a brand new Chevrolet and all you coaches a brand new Chevrolet. And they knew he would do it. They knew he could do it. And they said, whoa, we got to win that. Yes. Let me tell you something. You have never seen a team practice like that that following week. I mean, they were diligent, they were dedicated. The coaches stayed up all night strategizing against that team and they worked and they lift weight, they ate right, they slept right, they did everything right and you had a team that was fired up, a team that all of a sudden was in pretty good shape and now they were excited and said, we're gonna win and we'll have each one of us a brand new Chevrolet. They were thrilled beyond words. Friday night came, kickoff came. Four hard fault quarters at the end of the game, they lost 38 to nothing. (laughs) 
You can't have a marriage that sings in a week. You got it? But pull out those weeds. Confess to your wife you may begin to pray together. My, what a radical thought. And all of a sudden, I can promise you God will bring new meaning and depth and love to your marriage in a way that you would not ever believe, except it's the promise of the Almighty himself. Do you get it? I'd love to take some of you who are married and drive some rusted nails in your leg that you would remember, remember your purpose in being married to the love of your life.